0: Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, joined alongside, as I am every week, by Sam Griswold and Grail Hallett. Well, big win last night for the United States, 2-0. Versus Jamaica, Uh, there were a lot of stars last night. Beppe, uh, Austin, that crowd, it was great. Uh, The lack of red cards, no VAR, all kinds of stuff happening. So, uh, guys, let's get right to it. Um, You know, I definitely, that team, uh, they had most of the possession in the first half, weren't dangerous in the first half, unfortunately. So I was sort of thinking, like, we're going to have another tale of two halves where we dominate the first half, and then then the second half we just sort of shit the bed, but we didn't. Uh, We came out and... um, and things looked good. So two 0 we go to the top of the table, which is good news. But uh, a long way to go from here. But what are your uh, what are your thoughts on last night? Uh, but well, before th- you know what? Let's before we even do that, let's get what are you what, what are you guys over so far on over the ball? Maybe it pertains to this game, maybe not. What's up,
1: Grail? Okay, well, I'm I'm, I'm actually it doesn't pertain to the the game specifically, but I'm over. There were a couple incidents in the last week about the second yellow card being issued and the, the kind of randomness of the ref's decision in mm-hmm. issuing the second yellow card, which obviously leads to a guy being sent off, and it has huge implications. Case in point, first uh, game, Liverpool-Man City, Milner clearly didn't play a ball um, that... Uh, on Yeah, Bernardo should have been Silva. his second yellow Took card. Took him down, should sure. have been second yellow. Yep. Would have Could have changed the course of the match. Sure. And he skated. Um, in the Nations League match... Um, Benucci, who plays for Italy, they were playing Spain. He came over on it. He was he was on a yellow card. Came over on a header. Got his elbow up. Hit Busquets' head. Borderline to me. There was contact, but whatever. He got this. He got the second yellow, and he was sent off. And 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 it definitely uh, killed Italy's chances of winning. They were playing with ten men. That was at the end of the first half, so they played the entire second half. So I'm just wondering, can VAR come in? and look at incidents like that to determine if a second yellow should be
0: well that's all the time we have today on over the ball Sorry. and have the good go. no i would say this look it obviously happened last night as well with the uh, you know a referee doesn't want to influence the game and sometimes they 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 lose their ballsack um you know exactly it was a great game between liverpool and man city it was well fought Milner should have gotten a second yellow card it would have changed the the direction of the game the dynamics of the game would not have made it as much fun to watch but hey that's the rules and that's what should have happened so he should have been yellow carded last night uh in the game yeah red card in the first 20 something seconds yeah. when Ariola was taken down so I think referees get in their heads saying like I, I don't want to be a big part of this game and if if they had a red card in 23 seconds just think about how that would have sort of put a big fog uh, over the night, but, uh, it's what should have happened and it didn't. And in fact, it happened a second time as well. Yeah, and and, and the player should so,
1: matter in the time of the game. Yeah, absolutely. Matter, absolutely. I just, that's that's
0: my point. I'm just yeah. saying that, that it does for yeah. some reason, when these guys do it, Sam, what are you over on OTB?
2: Yeah. Building off that a little bit. Um, there was right. a lot of talk about VAR not being at the game last night, but uh, I mean, I, just get over it. I mean, Taylor Twelman just kept droning on about how there wasn't VAR for the whole first half. I mean, Everybody has to play under these conditions. It's. It was a couple of years ago that we didn't have VAR at all. I mean, right. I I don't disagree that it would be great that all of these Concacaf games had VAR, but I I just thought he could have let it go at a certain point and maybe yeah. tried to talk about something that was going on on the field.
0: Taylor tends to be a dog with a bone, and once he gets something <laughs> like that, it just he just keeps repeating it. And even if there's a goal scoring opportunity that's happening in the middle of him repeating it, um, <laughs> for some reason he he actually mentioned <laughs> that over and over. You know, John Champion calmly explained the reason why, you know, CONCACAF, FIFA, they say they don't have the money or the infrastructure in some of those uh, countries, which is bullshit. There's so much money involved. Give them the infrastructure or or tell them or tell them they cannot host the games. That's a nation you're talking.
1: Figure out in advance where the games are being played and set up the technology. It's not that expensive. I, I did like Champion, by the way being going at the ref full throated for some of his decisions. And the fact that he said early on, like this ref is out of his league for this game. All right. Yeah. So that's back to your first, what you're over. Um, But
0: I think, you know, as Taylor said that over and over, and it's frustrating because John Champion did provide the answer as to why. And so let it go at this point, you're just annoying us at this point. (laughs) Um, And then uh, to use the term mind boggling, five times in the first 20 minutes mind-boggling in the first five minutes and then low block low block five times so um champion's got all his little english sayings but he never repeats himself if you notice you're like you know Um, it's always fresh and he's he's quite a pro but i i gotta tell you you know uh i am surprised again especially espn the lack of american voices on that channel um here we are criticizing the american voice that they had with Taylor, but that's a U.S. national team game in the United States domestically, and it's it's an English announcer. And we're going to have
1: you'll have John Strong and uh, Stu Holden for the next match. Uh, so you'll be you'll be and much because we that. like them. We like them.
0: I applaud that. They were having a little more creativity with how they put their yeah. soccer coverage together. I mean, it seems like they've doubled down on uh, the Hispanic market where they're trying to lure them in. But you know what, guys? Univision and, and what, what, you know, they're, they're the ones who, you know, the Spanish-speaking population, will watch those games for the most part. Um, you know, so we have Hercules Gomez for a while. Sebastian doing, Salazar. Well, but Hercules Gomez was, you know, the man to do there yeah. at ESPN. He was doing everything. He was a, he was a great competitor. He's a great guy. I get it. But um, they give these guys, former national team players a shot and they give them a couple of years or, you know, one and done or two, three and done uh, no consistency. We already have to look in all kinds of different places to watch the games. It's like playing, um, you know, I don't know what is like playing, but you're trying to figure out, it's like playing that, that magic eight ball. You're like, where's the game tonight? It's Stratego. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm traveling so much right now that I'm scared. I can't watch the game. I'm like, I get to a hotel room or, or, you know, a guest house and I'm like, fuck man. Paramount plus CBS, ESPN, ESPN two, the ESPN plus it's like, after a while you're like, fuck. Give
2: me a break. Yeah. I mean, this this to me is such a, it's a really tough call because I love John Champion as a commentator. I think he's probably the best there is. Uh, And we are bashing Taylor. And, um, you know, I have even more comments about him later on for the show. But at the same time, at the same time, I mean. It's, I do like it, would be nice to have an American voice on these games. And I think, you know, the idea of a Spanish person from Spain doing a Mexico national team game, for example, I just think would be unheard of, you know. Right. Um, right. And I I, I don't, but it's complicated because here we are, you know, saying how good a job he did at the same time. Well, Fox News, who I absolutely loathe. And I know they're connected to Fox,
0: but Fox has done a much better job, sort of grooming some American voices and a little bit more creativity.
1: Not ESPN, Fox News, not Fox News. Fox Sports. News,
0: I know, is owned by Fox Sports. Fox Sports. Right. right. I'm just saying I, I I can't stand Fox News. But yeah. I, if you watch Fox Sports, those guys have done a, a good job. I think they've they've started to build something, they've made some mistakes, but they've they've continued to move forward. ESPN yeah. is still just doing the same, just the thing they've been doing the last. 15 years. And we're good friends with Bob Lee too. I, I miss Bob Lee there. Mm. Um, you know, and I know with with Sebastian, I always talk about him, you know, pronouncing the Spanish words. Well, why not the French ones? Why not say everything in a Jamaican accent last night? Uh to just give it the 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 uh um the, the pure sounding name, um, the pure sounding voice. So it's sort of like uh, Jermaine Jones? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Jesus Christ. And I thought K I, I thought Casey was pretty good. Casey's always good. Casey's steady. Yeah, Yeah. but it feels like you know Casey. It's almost like my argument with Alexi Lalas. Alexi, who I think is good because he always says something controversial. He always says what his opinion is, whether it's popular or not. He always takes the heat. Um, But for a while, he was playing, (laughs) then back in the booth, then GMing, then back in the booth. Then you know, and I was like, Lexi, if you're gonna do this broadcasting job. Be a professional like Bob Lee. Jump in. That's what yeah. you do. It's it's a real profession. And now and now he does that. Stu Holden the same thing. So um,
1: Salazar to me just tries to be too overly animated all oh, the time, gosh. which which feel which feels contrived to me,
0: frankly last Mm -hmm. night i laughed right at the beginning because that enthusiasm was so false and so unmodulated modulated modulated to what was actually happening uh that wasn't even happening on the field yet it's like what are we at a high school pep rally (laughs) dude jesus so i think they i don't know who's making decisions over there i worked there and it was a clusterfuck when i was there so it still is apparently so um how about the game Hey, let's talk about the game. <laughs> hey, so look, guys, uh, like I said, the U.S. had possession that first half. They looked good. I felt good. I felt like they were going to get something, but not a lot of dangerous, uh, you know, movement. Um, good early.
1: Uh, I thought good early and then. Kind yeah, of the first tr- 10 minutes for sure. The, the, yeah. The trend, which has been in every one of these matches to me is looking really good early. And then like the last 15, 20 minutes, they fall out of it. Oh, guys, I just want to make one more yeah. thing to go back to our other point about
0: broadcasters. This guy, Sam Boardman who's a journalist or I liked that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I liked that. He did a good job. I mean, that's what I want. I want yeah. <laughs> somebody who knows the game who writes about the game is a professional at what he does. And that's why Grant wall was good. Grant you know, was Grant, great. You know, Grant uh, was mean, great. Cause like Grant always like broke new news. He was yeah. you know, not worried about what the players would think of him. Not worried about what the locker room thought of him. Uh, these guys are reporting facts and I thought that was a good start yesterday. So yeah, we got to yeah. give props to Sam, not you, okay. not Griswold. Yeah. <laughs> no.
2: Did you feel that last night too, Sam? Watching yeah, I, Sam. I like that. Um, yeah. One thing that, that I actually wanted to point out too on the broadcast front is uh, one thing I really miss from watching Italian broadcasts is that they have a sideline reporter down between the benches who tells you not only about you know pitch conditions, things like that, like uh, Borden was doing, but he'll they'll also let you know what the coaches are communicating to their players, which I think is really interesting. So mm-hmm, when they right. call someone over or when they yell something out. These guys are there, and they hear it. And then during the broadcast, they will say, "Okay, you know, whatever." Allegri told McKenney to stay closer to the wing because he—they need to spread the ball wide a little bit more.
1: Right. Well, that I
2: find well, that I find really interesting. Well, then um, you, need,
1: then but, you need someone who speaks Spanish as well as English. Well, you and, also and need and somebody things. who really understands the game, communicating that.
2: Yeah, yeah but I, I yeah. don't think. I mean, yeah.
1: Well, all of us know this. Uh, there
0: are certain type uh, times when they throw a broadcaster in there. Uh, when they use the wrong terminology or the yeah. wrong, just the wrong tense or something. Yeah. And you could tell, all right, they're not soccer people. They're not a soccer person. So yeah. uh, anyway, so, all right. So the play last night, I mean, it was the Pepe. I wouldn't say it's the Pepe show. He scored two. I, was. Um, I mean, i uh, fantastic. Cause I tell you what, the first half, he worked hard, but they could not get any of those. They didn't get him involved. Just let me finish. He couldn't get any of those penetrating passes from the midfield in. So, um, you know, second half, obviously Musa. And a couple other players started to really sort of shred the, the the midfield. And I don't know if it was because they were just tired.
1: Yeah, I, it, it's, it's tough for me to gauge that because I was saying to Sam before we came on, you know, it was like the first time that I saw some really good through balls through the seams, like balls that I've wanted to see this team play for so long, you know, to guys in stride or guys overlapping. So but I'm still not sure, like, is that because Jamaica's defense was just not, Good Or was that because we were actually doing something better? I'll take it regardless because it worked. And we really, I, I, I thought, took advantage of our speed on the flanks. There was a big difference there. Sam?
2: Yeah, well, I think without Pulisic, the team is – like the midfielders are required to be a little bit more incisive, which I like. And I thought, again, you're right, Grail, it's really hard to draw any conclusions against a team like Jamaica is currently you know in last place with one point in the qualifying but i thought it oftentimes when a team sits back like jamaica did we seem like we're content just to pass it around the outside and then try to get it to pulisic and he can dangle by three people it looks like we're playing lacrosse sometimes so i like that the transitions were a little bit quicker and that the uh the midfielders were trying to get involved a little bit more and be a little more you know penetrating and i thought musa was the clear standout of the the three for that, good.
0: yeah. He had the ability to hold the ball, take people on, uh, which is that sort of tab Ramos, maybe Darlington Navi sort of skill set that we haven't seen for a while in the midfield. There, um, what I thought, you know, Grail, you mentioning the speed, I thought that was obvious with Ariola.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, he
0: gets criticized a lot on Twitter. I, I don't know why he always puts in a workman's effort. He's fast, he's not the greatest finisher in the last right. third of the field, but he doubles down defensively very well. He spreads, uh, you know, the de- the defense out, and I thought with his wheels on the outside, even that first twenty seconds, that breakaway, yeah, he got he's on one side. Um, uh, the kid from um, the young kid, well, I'm just blanking on his name on the other side. Aaronson. Ar- Aaronson. Yeah. Aaronson's um, wide on the other side. Uh, Robinson was making those dashing runs up the sides as well as Dest. So the outsides really were. <laughs> we're stretching things out and widening things out. And, um, but like you said, the first half, they didn't quite get some of those penetrating balls. And I think, and, and,
1: and we did, I felt like we did have a lot of time with the ball on numerous occasions where I just think against a different opponent, we're going to be really, you know, pressured a lot more. So that'll be telling, but, you know, just getting back to Pepe quickly, Any number, you know, the two chances that he took uh, based on the other guys I've seen in that position, I don't think they would have taken those chances. And like any good striker, he doesn't have to do anything for periods of time, just come in and score goals when he's got the chances. And we have not done that.
0: That's your dream striker. That's yes. your dream striker. And I tell you what, this is another thing I was critical of the, the commentary. Taylor never mentioned how hard that head ball was that he had. Was he, really was going, he was going backwards. He had to use the size of his head. He had to put it down and low to the far. But it's like, mentioned that for god's sake i I don't know it's like that's what he's there for
1: well and good and, and and to that point good in the i mean a number nine that we finally found who's not only good in the air but just composed in front of the goal again i have seen us miss any number of those chances where the guy hits the ball right at the keeper right right
0: i talked to a friend of mine in dallas who said um You know, he had watched Pepe early when he was uh, 16 years old and said, the kid is a killer in the box, just an absolute killer in the box. So we've all played with those guys. Sometimes they're frustrating because they don't get goal side or they don't work too hard off the ball, but they finish and they're a hero. And you're like working your ass off in the midfield. and You're like, well, God damn it. You You know, but who cares when you get a ball in there? Pepe, not that way. He worked really hard the first half um they played the ball well what was it an 18 year old to a 19 year old to a 20 yeah. year old to an 18 year old it was
1: well he also pointed i don't know if you noticed it on the aaronson pass Pepe coming down the middle pointed ahead to the spot where he wanted the ball and aaronson mm-hmm. put it to him on the silver platter but i mean he's got the presence of mind and know where to go and by the way staying on side which is not i mean we have we've had any number of guys play up there who can't stay on side so oh, yeah well, the well, whole package
0: lukaku he's off all the time but um so hey i wanted to ask you this sam they're making a big deal about pepe being 18 which it should be Mm -hmm. a big deal but you know looking like historically i remember playing in college and (laughs) i'm thinking i'm getting good and i'm playing well and i have time to develop you know and then all of a sudden you watch the world cup and it's gary lineker and mm-hmm. how old was Lineker in the World Cup when he put all those uh, points on the board?
1: He was young, probably early twenties. No, I think he—I think this? he was nineteen. I think okay. he was nineteen. So I, I'm
0: sort of saying, I hope America now that you don't go through the college process because uh, the NCA is shooting themselves in the foot, um, that our players are going to be expected to develop a little earlier, especially coming through these club programs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is this is one of them. I think he because he's he plays very maturely. I'm not. You know, you look at some of the comments on uh, Soccer America, one of our sponsors, and on Twitter, it's like, you know, just people do say this stupid shit. Like he's, you know, like he's Maradona all of a sudden. It's like, oh, my God,
1: relax, man. Good, encouraging signs, but this game is a long it's a long road, man. Well, and he's um, he's certainly the guy until he isn't. I mean, I yeah, would absolutely. Ride, if I were Verhalter, I'd ride this guy for as long as possible because the other guys have had their chances and they haven't put put up the goal. So no, and Sargent's fallen fell off the deck a little bit there,
0: Sam. But in Italy, how young are these guys that are actually being given the responsibility of playing? You know, a starting position is it eighteen?
2: Yeah, it's not quite 18 usually italy is traditionally uh in many respects culturally you know the land where you're young till you're 30 um you know until you move out of your parents house i live with my mama Um, (laughs) they've not been as quick as other european countries i think of england and you know watching spain this week in the nation's league they had you know a, a bunch of teenagers out there so um it's not quite the same in Italy, mm-hmm. but there does seem to be the general trend that you you should be ready in a complete player by the time you're 19 or 20 um, in a lot of these right. teams. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that, you know, the team teams that are developing these guys need to cash in on them uh, sooner than maybe they used to just because of, like, the great imbalance that there is financially. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think the reason people are freaking out about them is because for all the talent we've had, I still think people don't understand that it's not like, You know, soccer is not like basketball where you're going to turn on the game and LeBron's going to score 50 points. I mean, Pulisic's not going to go out there and score five goals every game. It's just a different game, different sport. So I think the fact that someone's finally actually scoring uh, is going to get people excited. It's pretty natural.
1: I I think it's the single most important and single most elusive thing to have on any soccer team is a goal scorer up top it it changes everything right right changes whole, well you win games
0: where you know Yeah. Even though you have possession you might not win even though you have great opportunities you don't win but we all know those guys we played with him and they're a rarity it's the ability to finish you give him a half chance like look you know Pepe finished i would say a, a chance and a half chance there that he finished right yeah so and that was all of a sudden we see him zardis comes in was really lively was moving things were positive but he had a couple of half chances that yeah. he did not quite finish and i like jazzy's artist. a uh, good guy good good player he's done well for the, uh, the national team but maybe just not that class you know that no. we're looking for the, the other thing guys that i think is very encouraging is this team is very young they also seem like they're having a really good time right and there's competition and when you're all part of the whole, meaning they're all getting a chance to play and and uh, participate and actually uh, offer up their services at different times when different configurations are needed or, you know, with all the different games that are being played. And I think that's the healthiest thing that I've seen so far is that there is a good, healthy competition there. I yeah. think the, the problems we've had in the past is when... Uh, a, a Josie were too, too dependent on Josie and his moods and his health and, and Michael Bradley, or even to go further back, you know, when I was talking about Harks being in three cycles and with Miola and Winalda, it was like, they, they just were the same guys. And it seemed like no one was pushing them to get to the next level. And they felt like that's my national team. And, uh, and I love those guys who are you know, great fighters and did well, but I think this group, there's so much depth that, man, you got to fight your ass off in camp. But I heard camp was really intense um this, yeah. this
1: past week yeah well, well no and no Pulisic and no Reyna so right. you th- like two of the arguably two of the best four players on the team weren't playing and you know that's what we were able to do so it'll be interesting. well here,
0: here's the thing uh, you know one of the things about playing and, and continuing to progress is to stay healthy yeah and if you look at a Messi and all the beatings he's taken he stays healthy somehow and I think either Pulisic has to be aware of that and either physically Develop a little differently, um, build up some beef or something, or play a little differently. Um, you know, I don't know how you do that because certain guys get hurt. We know that from yeah. from playing, uh, and you know, so boy, we're like Christian who this morning because mm-hmm. you know he's a great player and he's a you know a great um, warrior for this national team. But if you continue to get hurt, uh, this is what happens. It's the Lou Gehrig thing. We talked about yeah. it last week. Same thing with Zach Steffen. I mean, he's not playing at Man City. And that's now Matt Turner's position. So he's Mm -hmm. got to come out big time if he wants to be the starting keeper uh, down the line. What, What did you guys
1: think of Zimmerman in the back? Sam. I mean, not yeah, that was, I, not that he was challenged. Exactly. Much, but, I don't think yeah. he
2: was really tested that much. No. I mean, he made, he made one really good pinch on a counter attack early yeah. on when it was a two on two and he, he stepped out and he really needed to make the challenge because if he didn't, the guy was free behind him, but I thought he looked really comfortable with the Same. ball, yeah. which I like. Uh, yeah, I'm happy composed. to see both him and Robinson back there not hesitating at all to carry the ball forward a little bit. If, if yeah. needs, uh, you know, require or needs must, whatever mm-hmm. the phrase is. Uh, and also their passing was really incisive. I, um, I think in the past we get like, you know, especially in the early days of the Burhalter rain or whatever, it looked like everyone was playing a one touch drill back there. They thought everything had to be one touch and mm-hmm. it got us into trouble. A lot. I, I've always said this, but it's just as important sometime to, to be able to stop and hold the ball for a second when you're getting Moussa. pressed. Moussa. Yeah. Musa too, Yeah. yeah. But especially with with the defenders coming out of the Yeah, I'm
1: with you too, Sam. I thought he looked great and really composed. Again, not a lot of pressure being applied to them, though. So I think it's going to be interesting moving forward across the pitch to see if we can take what we did in that match and apply it against another opponent. That will be really interesting if we can still do the same things against somebody else.
0: Yeah. yeah so going back to Zimmerman I, I think he's a good physical presence he's yeah. good uh you got a cockiness about him I liked him uh he, one of his he headed a, you know ball clear and it started a counter attack so that was good and again I think the speed on the on the outside opens up things for your center backs to move forward and
1: try to do those penetrating passes to break the lines um so uh and that was a way that was a way that I have not seen previously. Oh, I'm glad I, you I mentioned like, him. Yeah. Wow. I was like, oh, my God, he just jetted by guys down the left side. Right? I
0: got to tell you, you know, people have been talking about him for a long time, obviously, because of his dad. So there's one pressure there that this poor kid has to grow up with. Um, But. I never quite saw it. I always thought like, well, he's dancing too much on the ball. Uh, He's, he's, uh, he's holding it when he should play it first or second time, you know, and and then he was hurt all the time as well, which, you know, leads us back to the ballistic thing. But uh, last night I was impressed. And that's that kind of Kobe Jones late substitution where the Mm -hmm. wheels, Jamaica was, was dogging it, man. They were, they were running in sand there near the end. I think that's why that A lot opened up, um, you know, late in the second half. But I think he came on when he put on the afterburners a couple of times. It was uh, it was absurd. We just looked much faster and younger. And at at this level, you know,
1: World Cup qualifying, it's a young man's game. He he could have easily had two assists. He had one for Zardes where Zardes just didn't get his feet right. And it went right by him. Um, But he could have easily had a couple of assists. And again, I, I just I hadn't seen that from him.
0: He put the pepper Williams. on that ball. That yeah. was a tough ball to get to, I think, yeah. um, you know, because Jossie had a good jump on it. I thought I didn't think it is. He just couldn't get to it. It was too right. fast. Um, but yeah, wheels. And I tell you, uh, don't know if that's a starter, but, um, you know, when Gio comes back, but boy, it, it can really be an impactful substitution late in the Late in the you know the second half, seventieth minute or something, sixty fifth minute. Definitely love to see that. So, so good stuff. So, uh, anything else, guys? Before we move on, we have Ted Priestley on today. He's um, he's the CEO and founder of Fundraise for You. So, uh, I had an interesting conversation with him about all these teams and clubs, uh, after the pandemic, you know, we've talked about the pandemic a lot on this show and the, the effects that it's had on college and high school, uh, teams and the pro leagues, obviously, but what about these teams and the funding they had coaches that they had to keep on salary, uh, you know, players, dues, all that stuff. What Ted does is he basically gets, uh, you know, has ideas and, and ways for certain clubs to raise money. So we thought it was a really important message to get out to some of our listeners, uh, this week. So, um, so guys, so we'll take a break here. Uh, good win for the U.S. national team last night. Onward and upward. Uh, you know, some more big tests. No game is easy because look, Jamaica was at the bottom of the barrel there, yeah. um, the bottom of the, and and they were fighting. They came out. They're they're a good athletic team. You know, you know, what's strange, guys. I always root for the reggae boys. I love the reggae boys. Yeah. I really do. And I think you know, one of my arguments with the women's national team is about they're fully funded and they play teams that aren't and don't even have a real history. Well, Jamaica, those players, they all play soccer, but they're not always the best funded. The training facilities, the the, the gear, the boots, the travel arrangements, it's all a fight. And and so I always pull for a team like Jamaica uh, when they're playing in these games. And I got to tell you, you know, they did their national anthem last night. And I've said this before in the show, and I've gotten in trouble for it because... I said, it's it's one of these tuba, bum, 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 yeah. bum, you know. Right. And I'm like, why isn't it uh, reggae and Bob Marley, yeah. this gift that they've one given love, the world? love by Bob one Marley. love, yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah. and
1: someone said that's racist. And I'm like, racist? Not, not at all. What are you talking about racist? Give me a break. It's a tribute to one of the most iconic Jamaicans ever. And completely invented an art form, like within the music genre. And, and, you know, and when it's Jamaica and they, you know what, no one's, uh,
0: you know, gotten anything close to it since, you know, there's still every time I'm down in the Caribbean, you know, whatever, I'm hearing those music and everybody's in a good mood. Everybody's happy. So um, screw you. You can have your finger on a a race. I'm a racist button. Give me a break because I want the Jamaican national anthem to be a Bob Marley tune. Yeah. You'll check yourself in the mirror first, all right. Uh, that's all the time we have right now for this opening segment. We're going to come back in a, just a bit with uh, with Ted Priestley and Fundraise for You. You're listening to Over the Ball, all right. Joining us now on Over the Ball, he is a former player and coach at the college level. He's uh, also now the founder and CEO of Fundraise for You. We're going to talk to him about the changing landscape in the funding world of high school, club teams, all, everything. I think the COVID situation has uh, has changed it all. Welcome back to Over the Ball, Ted Priestley. Ted, how are you? I'm doing
3: great, funny. Great to see you guys.
0: You know, Ted, as I was going to introduce you as a college player, I know you played at UMass, where Sam and I both played. And I said to Sam, I think you played in the Final Four team. And Sam was like, no way. He's much older than that. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> Ted, like I think that, what happens that. is all the years start to just mash into one. And so we just feel old. That's basically what it is.
3: Indeed they do. And I, I, I was already feeling old this morning. So I appreciate that. You know, just, yep. just layering that on. <laughs> uh, but you feel yeah, a little you know, older. I also couldn't have played on that team. Uh, they were much better than I was. So, uh, but yeah, great to be here. All right, good. So, hey, um,
0: you know, we were talking at the alumni game, which I'm still sore from, but um, but we were talking about basically the, like I said in the opening, the changing landscape that's happening in the fundraising world, and how some teams are struggling to come up with uh, budgets. Uh, why don't you talk to us a little bit about that and, and about what
3: you do? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, for, you know, first as far as uh, you know, colleges and university programs. You're absolutely right. You know, uh, they're they're not making decisions at the college and university level to add resources to programs. Uh, they're you know in many ways reducing those resources and or cutting programs. So I always tell folks that, you know, obviously you're measured by your competitive excellence on the field, on the court, on you know whatever playing you know, competitive uh, surface, it is. Uh, but also your graduation rates, uh, your uh, you know your citizenship on campus, your community service, all those things. But also your fundraising and your alumni relations strategy. Uh, you know, if they're going to cut a program, uh, it, it's a lot harder to do so when a program has an engaged alumni base, where right. they participate, where they grow, uh, and where they raise money. Uh, it's a lot easier to cut you <laughs> if if you don't do those things. Well, squeaky wheel kind of thing gets the grease. So, and so you're talking about a college
0: level, basically, because that doesn't really. You know, work for high schools. I guess they're trying to raise well, money because they don't necessarily so, cut programs.
3: Yeah, no, our our what we do, you know, we do fundraising for college programs, universities. Uh, we do club programs, youth programs, and everything in between. We do a, a skate park in Lunenburg, Massachusetts. We do a lacrosse program. Uh, uh, we we do we do stuff uh, at all ages, all levels. Because especially what the pandemic has shown us is if you don't have a revenue strategy that goes beyond participant fees and or tuition uh you're in trouble you're in trouble now but you're in trouble next sam
2: yeah ted good to see you again Uh, i'm curious in terms of soccer you know how how does it differ from other sports that you fundraise for if indeed it does is it you know harder easier to get people into soccer has it kind of become trendy or uh, you know what are yeah what are the differences basically as
3: far as fundraising yes yeah so Sam, it's a great question. Uh, soccer, in many ways, is uh, more evolved uh, than many of their youth sports in terms of having that culture of philanthropy built into uh, the, especially club soccer landscape, uh, but you see it in high school as well. But uh, they're they're much more in tune with, and maybe it's because of the jerseys. You know, you see jerseys when you turn on the television. There's usually sponsorships. And a lot of the times people will look at, I always you remember the Bad News Bears and Chico's Bail Bonds. You know, we wouldn't know yeah. Chico's Bail Bonds if it wasn't <laughs> for the back of that jersey. <laughs> So Tatum O'Neill,
0: that's all i remember from that right. one right
3: so it's it's opportunity exactly it's opportunities like that where you you say well if that works there uh like i have a photo on my on my website it's uh it's uh, fundraiserview.net uh of of our little town futsal team that i coached like i was the town dad but i happen to have this background and this expertise so it's everything sponsored you know we get a great adidas kit we've got this you know coffee design and build you know sponsor on the front um that's sort of what people see in soccer. You know, they mm-hmm. see, gosh, maybe we should be doing that because obviously the rising costs of doing business, they are what they are. Professional coaches, facilities, etc. Uh, Those are rising costs and those are legitimate rising costs. However, how, you know, who pays for those? Yeah. Right? But what's
0: changed, what's changed Ted? Because I think, as soccer people we know that we've always had a really scrounge for for anything to be you know uh, sort of noticed by a program or uh, you know whether it's in a high school or a club team afterwards we were always trying to raise money early um, it seemed like baseball basketball football were always sort of better funded but it seems like the landscape has changed in the sense that you know even like with summer camps it used to be a huge business these soccer summer camps and now they've kind of gone away and uh, that's an infrastructure that's sort of gone but now we have this all these these teams that need money yeah. and you're saying they're making their money on their membership fees, but then the quarantine thing happened. So that's what two years without membership fees or how does that work?
3: Well, for some of them, it depends on where you were in the country, but, but certainly there was a period there where clubs uh, were not sports clubs of all sports were not uh, receiving uh, income. And, you know, how do I pay my coaches? How do we you know, pay the mortgage on the facility that we own? Mm-hmm. How do we, you know, this and this, Uh, So uh, many of those folks did not have corporate sponsors, uh, you know, attached to the club. Uh, And and again, you know, so there there was kind of that plan B. There was no plan B. It was mainly uh, reliant on what came in uh, for participant fees. All right.
0: So that's where you kind of come in with the fundraising. Uh, Grail,
1: Ted, great having you. Thanks for joining us. Um, I like to think of myself as an engaged college soccer alum. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've always felt that the uh, the alumni network was kind of underutilized in terms of, uh, you know, a fundraising tool. And I'm just curious, you know, what are the various initiatives you recommend um, in terms of stimulating interest in donations within sure. that really uh, that, that key group of people that can make yeah, a difference?
3: It's a great question, Grail. Um, you know, we could use our UMass, uh, you know, alumni uh, network as a, as a perfect example. Uh, seven years ago, we got together for our alumni game, and there were five of us kicking a ball around on Redfield. And we just looked at each other and just said, this yeah. absolutely sucks. And, they, you know, because we just, you know, our, our coaching staff had always been traditionally, each you know, coaching staff, you know, I played for Sam Cope. Um, they, they had been traditionally underfunded overworked, you know, they, they weren't able to focus on this stuff. And they didn't have alumni that had this expertise and had this, you know, these sort of best practices to kind of help them be an extension of the program, extension of the coaching staff. So what we did is we created that day, you know, five I said, guys, you know, this is either the beginning or the end of what we do as alumni, right? So let's make it the beginning and make this a wonderful story. So we created an alumni leadership team where we brought together different you know five at the time and then soon to be 10 and now it's uh it's it's 12 alumni from different age groups that they could reach up they could reach down to older and younger uh you know contemporaries um to to generate you know that the you know that that you know that critical mass you wanted uh three things from them number one was to give it a meaningful level you know uh, in terms of donations whatever that meaningful level would be Second thing is uh, participate, i.e. show up, you know, and we have quarterly meetings and such. Uh, And then the third thing is recruit, you know, reach out to your friends via text or however you do it, but just make sure we get folks, you know, to our alumni stuff. So you fast forward seven years later, our giving way back then was $33,000 a year. This past year, we were close to $100,000 as a program, even through a pandemic. I mean, that's a pretty remarkable uh, increase, but also you look at our five guys, you know, uh, in the middle of Redfield, seven years ago, this year, we're at 45, you know, so it's best practices, right? So, so Mm -hmm. things like that, we've done alumni mentoring nights uh, where, you know, Flynn was the MC of the first one uh, where you bring back alumni from different walks of life to share their experiences with the current squad. You know, basically you're, you're, you're creating that connectivity, giving them the opportunity to give back, not just financially, but just sharing the uh, you know, that perspective and the number of jobs, internships, uh, connections that have come through that uh, event alone uh, is, is staggering. We started that at Holy Cross when I was coaching there. And have, I brought that to, to UMass. But we've we've delivered that for you know tons and tons of, of college and university clients. And you
0: know, that's one of the biggest differences that I saw, uh, you know, Grail, one of our, our buddies and teammates and four, you know, the coach, uh, Mike Noonan, when he used to coach at Brown and I would go to those games the guys would come out of the locker room, they'd all be in blue blazers. They'd meet with the alumni who had jobs and internships. And it it really, I think, gave the kids a bigger picture of what's out there, what your your athletic experience is really supposed to be about, uh, you know, about life and moving forward. So I think uh, you know, at UMass, um, Franny was at, at Dartmouth. And I think these Ivy League schools have this infrastructure sort of, you know, built in. Grail, I know at Middlebury you have a good yeah. uh you know, alumni group too that's together. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's it's hugely important, and I think if it's built into a, a university, it's it's uh, easier to maintain once it gets going.
3: You know? Absolutely, and it, and it, uh, it, it adds to so much. You know, when you're sitting there trying to decide between like schools, your similar schools, okay, you know, UMass, okay, what do those next forty years look like after these four years? Well, here's the role of our alumni, and here's what we are, and here's how we turn that page from being an undergraduate to a, a, an alum. Uh, and an engaged one it's it's just awesome you know it's just, you it's know, a you
0: talk about the event that i am seed i'm up there sort of doing like in a stand-up sort of way the kids were so serious they they wanted to hear from the financial people that you know i was like wow these kids no just not. of just want to be entertained but they want to be like sort of educated i was like go figure very different <laughs> than my day
2: uh sam yeah sticking with college soccer ted um we had rob stone on the show a while back and he was saying how he thought NCAA soccer was one of, if not the most undervalued sports property in the country. And I'm curious from your perspective, what NCAA soccer can do to kind of take that next step in the media landscape and to get more exposure. And, you know, if, if indeed, you think it can.
3: Yeah, no, I absolutely do. And I, I agree with that. I think it's uh it's, it's a, a wonderful a part of our soccer uh, culture uh, that uh, there's there's a lot of room to grow. Uh, the first thing I would do is I would begin the season. Uh, and I'm going to speak on the men's side, the men's season. I don't think the split season, the split year is going to happen quite yet. Uh, so if, if that's the case, then fine. Um, start preseason earlier and uh eliminate uh weekend tournaments, you know, Friday, Sunday stuff. That's just bad for the Sunday game and and and, and usually bad for the health of players. Right. Um, yeah. But but beyond that, I would go, you know, towards you know the end of the year, you've got some of these programs that have amazing. You mentioned NIMS at, at Clemson. Uh you know, you could you could talk uh, about so many of these other they're really working Sasha at um, at Maryland uh, and, and so on and so forth, they're working on their home atmosphere and they're really investing in it. And they've just got the, so reward them. I would say reward them in the NCA tournament all the way through the final four, where I don't know if you, I don't know how you do it, but you've got to have a home field. Uh, it's like MLS cup. You know, they, they go all the way through. It's a much better event because the stadium is full because mm-hmm. one of those teams is usually, you know, uh, you know, the, the home team. Yeah. Uh, find a way to do that through the NCAA tournament all the way through the final four. Cause I don't know that the final four or the college cup is necessarily working from a spectator standpoint, the quality no, not, of soccer, no, not in close. no, the quality of soccer last year was unbelievable. Best I've ever seen in the college cup, mm-hmm. but then you look in the stands and part because of the pandemic, uh, but partly because of just the structure, you know, I think mm-hmm. that we have a real opportunity to just get more students, especially in those stands and turned into March Madness, uh, you know, not in March, but uh, for
0: soccer. Yeah, you know, because it's like, look, at UMass, we're playing games. Middlebury, the same thing. You're playing games uh, end of October, November. It's yeah, just it's, cold. it's a frozen tundra out there, and it's just not even soccer after a while.
3: Well, it's true, but at the same time, if you go to you know Middlebury as an example, when safety got school, champion- Ted, safety school, <laughs> but a championship <laughs> level game or a championship game uh, in the NESCAC, those kids and those that local community they are all coming out for that game and it's just an unbelievable atmosphere and you look around you're saying this is division three school no absolutely this is awesome so the big time is where you are so same thing at umass if, if umass is involved in anything championship ish people come out of the dorms and just and it is a, an event yeah. so if you're doing it there you can certainly do it at, at unc etc right
1: grail Ted, first of all did flinny tell you to make take that swipe at me about d3 I just yeah. want to make sure because that, that seemed you like know, such a like, setup. I can't even you, believe it. I'm wondering just, where Teddy's
0: loyalties oh, are, man. We're, just, are, two, we're just two are, D1 athletes hanging out. We just sent out with the you guys. talking
1: points to Ted about what to say to Gorilla about D3. Exactly. Um, no, and, anyway, Ted. Uh, so, most people associate corporate sponsorships with professional sports. Right, And I'm just curious how you thread that needle when it comes to corporations and youth sports, because I would imagine that you get some people that are very
3: uncomfortable about that. Sure. So uh, you first look at it and say, you know, corporate sponsorship versus corporate philanthropy. Philanthropy is, all right, we care about your mission and we have a corporate social responsibility arm that fits into the mission of your club. So we're going to support that way. Sponsorship is... How can the property, i.e., the organization, the association, whom we represent, how can they help the sponsor sell more stuff, make more money, you know, and, and increase, you know, commercial uh, or increase their operation commercially? Um, so we need to demonstrate that audience data to make sure that you know the clubs know themselves, uh, you know where you know where their members live, you know, generally you know combined family income, like all those things, because if you're going to BMW as an example. And uh, you want them to sponsor X club. Well, if X club has half of their uh, members who have a combined family income over $250,000, as an example, BMW says, okay, how can we get our, our logo on that, that Jersey or on that, that facility, et cetera, meaningful interaction between the sponsor property and the, the membership without inundating the membership with, with emails and and, Mm -hmm. and garbage like that. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, um. It's basically just making sure you've got a good fit, um, you know, in terms of your property, in terms of your audience data uh, for those potential sponsors for sure. And if
0: there's a test on this shit, I'm going to fail, but uh, (laughs) good, useful information. So we have this idea kicking around the OTB studio. It's actually I'm I'm saying we Grail. You hear me? It's actually Sam's it's, idea. It, Sam wanted to. It has nothing
1: you... to do with you. Exactly. It. <laughs> it really
0: doesn't.
2: I just put the we in there. My father used to say,
0: "What do you have, have a mouse?" Have Sam in... asked the question. You have a mouse in your pocket. Well, Ted knows. Uh, I mean, Ted
2: she... Ted mentioned before he came on that he's a regular listener of the show, so he's certainly heard many times me propose the idea of the college open cup, and <laughs> mostly get shut down. But there's been some positive movement lately, Ted. So I'm curious what your take. On that would be, and uh, look you know, if at you're his willing argument. To, he's honing it. He's putting it indeed. forward. Yeah. I love if it. If you're willing to take on, you know, the fundraising aspect of it,
3: well, it's uh, it's interesting. Hey, hey so, by the way,
2: Sam has got Hank steinbrusher
0: on board, so that's a pretty powerful person to have I heard, on your board. I heard the
3: episode, and I know that uh, that Hank loved it. Um, so, I think in theory, so in theory, it's the Indiana basketball, uh, you know, concept, uh, high school basketball concept, and, and certainly the U.S. Open Cup concept in theory it sounds great i just think logistically um you know the the the, the unfortunate reality that college soccer is not a a revenue generating sport uh the athletic directors are not that. looking for more travel costs and more this and more that they're probably looking for less than that um, i would always look and say okay well the fundraising opportunity is x right uh which there would be but you know that would get into fundraising for operational costs which is So you're going to share your thoughts on
0: over the ball. Apparently you said in the beginning, your weekly listener, have you ever reviewed our show? You need to review it.
3: So I, I, I listen every week. Uh, I love, uh, I love the show. Uh, And uh, the review is that you, you cover, and I'll say tackle the um, the right issues. And um, I I really think it's always a thought. I love that you guys don't agree. (laughs) Much yeah. and come at it from different uh, perspectives um, because I think that's how we get better. Um, but uh, but it's it's critical thinking well, 101 here. Yeah.
0: Well, Grail and Sam make fun of me because English is not my bestest language at times. <laughs> and uh, we, yeah, no, we,
1: there's just plenty of pronouncing names of players is a struggle. Oh, and so, and so and so, it's it's so you gotta weigh
0: in on that one, Ted. Uh, Sebastian Salazar, uh, bullshit to use the Spanish accent when doing the Spanish words.
3: Or oh, or should he do the Russian, Russian accent trail. when he's it's doing unbelievable. the
0: Bulgarian name, the Spanish name, everything?
3: I, I I usually stay you know stay out of these ones. But, oh, that's how
0: uh, you're a smart but, man. What, what, what I will
3: say, what I will say is that um, you know I've 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 got uh, you know plenty of my former players are uh, or, or, you know Spanish speaking or you know other other language speaking um, as their as their first language. So I would expect them to probably you know pronounce something the way that they're used to pronouncing it. So instead of Mexico, it would be Mexico. Sure. Oh, okay, sure. very good. You're going to run for political
1: office. Yeah, for you're gonna t- keep
3: I would say one <laughs> of the things, and you guys had asked about, you know, the pandemic, and just just briefly on this, um, uh, you know, people, are we raising money during the pandemic? Are, are we raising money post-pandemic? Is it the re- appropriate time? The resounding answer, folks, is yes. You know, right. we we are. I'm, I'm busier than I've ever been right now, uh, partly because. Uh, you know, if people are trying to turn that page and just, just get to that next, you know, that next level with, you know, getting back on track, uh, you know, the PPP loans, you know, served, you know, their purpose for a point now, it's like, what are the lessons learned, uh, by these clubs and organizations, uh, and across the board, they're saying, you know, if, if we could do a crowdfunding campaign, like our friends and family campaign, uh, for us, uh, you know, how do we do that? How do we make it work? As long as there's alignment within the club and the organization that they say, we are committed to fundraising and then everybody all the way through that chain of command into the, you know the players and, and the parents because ultimately they're the ones uh, helping with it um as long as there's alignment it's it's just an awesome time to be doing it say what have the
0: clubs learned oh my god with the pandemic what has the country learned what has the world learned really all these uh, bigger issues but i have found with the nantucket comedy festival fundraising was really good last year because people were aware that some of these programs had to continue uh through difficult times you know we didn't have absolutely. a we didn't have a festival two years in a row and it was it's it's difficult you know to absolutely
3: kind of... and as long as you have what we call a noble cause and a noble cause for youth, you know, players like our daughter went through this as a as a field hockey player, you know, club, you know, field hockey. You know what that means to your your personality and to your life and to oh, yeah. how you define yourself, right? If 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 you as a potential donor can help a child get back onto the field in a meaningful way and remove barriers to entry by making a donation, you do that today. If I had something you know, for you today, each of you three would would make a gift today because you know that that was going to make a difference in the life of a young person. We're seeing that across the board. Uh, the-
0: Grail would and He's really cheap. I mean, <laughs> Sam and I would throw something in. All right. Hey, Teddy, it's uh, you're doing some great work. I know you've uh, really helped out a couple of programs out there and uh, you're on your way to doing a lot more with it. Um, something that everybody needs to sort of deal with right now in in this current economic environment and the whole quarantine and everything. So we appreciate you coming in over the ball and sharing your views and all your expertise
3: and insight. That's my pleasure. Thanks. And uh, great to see you guys. Y'all have a great day.
0: All right. Adios. All right. Good stuff. Talking to Ted Priesty. Look, man, this is a big concern with a lot of clubs and stuff right now. I know a lot of my buddies
1: are coaches at clubs and the funding's tough right now. It really is. So uh, that's a great way to. Well, even colleges too, Flinny, with budgets being cut, you know, coaches have to be creative because the soccer budget was never a big budget at any college I know. So, you know, if they can raise money through alums and stuff, that's what they got to do. Yeah, I'm more
2: more worried about my own project getting, you know, kind of, Shut down at this point, but yeah. Well,
1: wait a second. I, I don't even know what that means, wait, man. It wasn't. It wasn't shut down. Is there still a credit? Oh, you're you at open cup. You got Hank. Yeah, have got Hank in your. House. I know, but
2: I need I need money behind it to get started. <laughs> oh, so, all
0: right, hey, so guys, uh, you know, last week I know I don't think uh, Sam watched the game, but the Liverpool. Uh, Man City game was a good one Um, you know you mentioned it in the opening though with the what you're over but uh, yeah yeah.
1: match of the it's the match of the Premier League season thus far I mean fantastic uh, a nil all at halftime and then you're thinking oh my god is this going to be one nil and it ends up you know four goals in the second half and all of the best players scored so you had you had you know Mane you had Salah Salah. scoring the goal of the year thus far just an incredible goal and then De Bruyne and Foden, so you had like the, the four of the biggest stars uh, coming forward, and just a great end-to-end action, just a, a heavyweight fight. I that was it.
0: that was fun for me. I didn't think Liverpool was going to be able to hang in there, and then they did. And then I thought, wow, they're going to take a win, they're going to get three points, and then man, never <laughs> say die. It's nothing <laughs> like a goal to wake up your your side. You know? Yeah, I
1: mean, City coming back twice was impressive. But I thought Pep was going to have an aneurysm on the touchline when. Uh, when Milner didn't get the second yellow, and he was, uh, and then Pep got his Pep got his own yellow for complaining to the fourth official, but it was just such an egregious non-call.
0: Yeah, but he always does that. It just doesn't yeah. help after a while, you know, especially, you know, in the middle of the game. It's just, it distracts your players and then they start thinking about, we didn't get that second
1: yellow and, and they play yeah. differently. So I, I am corny, but I have to say that I love the hug at the end of it. Pep and Klopp. Oh, of course. Just embracing course. and just being like, whoa, wasn't that fantastic? I'm I love stupid, seeing that.
0: Stupid English press tries to make things that aren't there. That anyway. was great. Every week they, they try to sell papers. Um, Well, one thing's going to be in the papers. It's in the papers now over there and even here, I think a little bit. Uh, we're not going to talk about it today but i want to talk about next week the uh, saudi arabia takeover of newcastle uh, yeah uh, you know uh, uh, by a murderer basically. We're,
1: we're, we're gonna we're gonna have a lot of stuff to talk about next and week i it, can't believe they let that go through it's a, a very, very polarizing decision that's all i can say as, as much as people hate mike ashley the owner of the club for 13 years I, I don't be careful what you wish for. That's what all, all I can say.
0: Yeah, but that's the prince who had that guy beheaded and chopped up. I mean, and it's they have direct evidence of it. I think we like this is where I say like FIFA and governing bodies. It's like you don't have the balls. You don't think people have the balls to call a second yellow? How about the balls to call something like this when somebody's killed someone? Well, another? remember also
1: that they've been pirating Bein's signal and, and and showing games illegally in, uh, in, the, in um, the in the in the kingdom. I'm talking about murder. You're talking about uh, <laughs> no, stealing cables. No, I'm just saying another reason to be concerned.
0: <laughs> All right, Nations League. Uh, what are your thoughts wow. on that,
1: guys? Quickly before we go. Just uh, you know, I, 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 again, Paris a, l- a little Hunter. no, a little a little gem that kind of stumbled upon. I know Sam had mentioned it had been delayed from the spring, but yeah, um, Spain Spain avenging their their loss to Italy in the Euros, um, in the semis, and winning um you know but again ascending off which affected that game and then yeah France I I France were down 2 nil yesterday to Belgium I said I give Be- I give France 10% chance of coming back in this game and they scored 3 goals in the second half and won all right good stuff uh, yeah so i, I just
2: quit. want i will not oh. i don't but i just had one question on the nations league and the premier league um which is uh Spain's two goals against Italy they won 2-1 were scored by Ferran Torres. Uh, yes. Both beautiful goals and really seem to solve an issue that's been had, which is finding a Rul real
0: sp- Torres. A,
2: a traditional striker who can actually score. But my question is, why does he not play for Man City, who seem to be trying to buy any striker they can find, and he well, doesn't he even did, seem to get in the team?
1: He plays sparingly. He he has been playing more recently. He comes, but but again, you're right. I mean, he's not the the new Aguero. He's not. Mm-hmm the new number 9 and depending on who they play pep just rotates guys you know to mm-hmm. play kind of up front they they keep playing a false nine i think until harry kane arrives or somebody else but uh yeah you're right sam he he was those goals were just spectacular oh, yeah.
0: look, look, i mean about, yeah. look about yeah. overlooking players that you have on your roster and not giving them the chance that's why coaching is so important not just the Xs and o's but the psychology of how to treat a player um mm. you look at uh you know uh de bruyne and Salah.
1: Yeah. Didn't get any time when they were at Chelsea uh Grail. Did you even know they were on the bench back then? Yeah, you, you, you kind of knew about, but nobody had any way of knowing what who de Bruyne would turn into and whatever. But, but they obviously they they screwed up. They let yeah. you know they've let three fantastic players move on. The other the other thing about Spain. Who's the third? They, um, who's the third? Um, well, no, no, but De Bruyne Lukaku. Oh, right? Lukaku and Sala, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing I would just mention about Italy is they've got a fan. They've got some great young players. They're going to be really good for the next five to 10 years. And this guy, uh, uh, Javi, uh, oh, uh G A V I. You're talking
2: about Spain, Spain. I'm sorry. What did I say? You said Italy.
1: I, I apologize. Spain. Um, so, yeah, big, no 18 or uh, 17 years, years old, starting for, uh, Spain, just to go. So incredible talent.
0: They've got their own Pepe and, yeah. um, all right. Well, good stuff. So, uh, and Javi, if you have that name, man, you got a hell of a reputation to live up to, man. I'll tell you that. Oh
1: my God. Uh, all right,
0: Sam. So no quiz today. I don't, yeah. I no, off easy.
2: no quiz. I was trying to get something us related because that's what we we're focused on, but I couldn't come up with anything, but actually I did want to make one more point, which I teased in the opening. I didn't get to, but, um, on Taylor, on taylor twelman i mean oh going aside back on back. from aside <laughs> from anything actually relating to the game that he talks about or doesn't talk about i just find his his style very aggressive i don't know if you guys noticed that but yeah. he tends to when he starts making a point he keeps ramping it up and then at the end he's like He's almost yelling like he's talked himself into it. He reminds me of coaches I've had who are very like nice guys. And then they're like, okay, like I need to get really angry right now. And like, you're like, okay, this doesn't really seem like you're really behind this. But on the Pepe goal, for example, the first one, you know, he's describing the space he got into goes, you know, this is where I can hurt you. This is where I kill you. And he just like <laughs> ramps it up in a way that I find very odd As if everything he says has to be like a hot take or something. It's you know, uh, I I don't know if you guys noticed that. Mm-hmm.
0: I I, th- I think that you know, part of the problem is because you watch the premier league and it doesn't matter who's doing the, the, uh, the color on it. They are, they spice up the story. They add to the story. They are not the story. And it seems like his stories try to be the main focus of what is going on. And it's like, it doesn't pertain to always what's on the field in the moment, mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. stories go on too long. And I think my one advice if anybody was given any advice over there at ESPN, they don't want to listen to me, I would imagine uh, but to say, like you add little spices to what John Champion is a great one. There's there's you've got a great uh guy, you know, who's doing the play by play, uh just just figure out how to be better to compliment, not be the story. And I think sometimes yeah. strike strikers always want to be the story. Well,
1: yeah. well, I think also just a little more levity and humor. You listen to these other color guys, and they're they don't take they're they're all very good players and they're very self-deprecating.
3: Right. None of them mm-hmm.
1: take themselves too seriously. They're very good at observing what's going on. Mm-hmm. But you're right, Sam. Taylor on the VAR thing, I thought mm-hmm. Taylor was going to come through my TV.
2: Yeah. It's you're a little that much. And I think it yeah. also, you know, it doesn't help that he's alongside someone like champion who's very measured and yeah. even keeled. I mean, it just, they seem in, in kind of different worlds sometimes, but just the
0: stories go on too long and it's sort of, it's just not, you know, and you're right about the self-deprecation grail uh, those mm-hmm. guy gri- all those players who did in the premier yeah. league, um, they're all great. They were great players, all national team players, and they always make fun of themselves. You know, it's yes. it's really and it's nice because it's like, well, I would have finished that one. They don't say that, or you no, know, they always. Say, he's I, got I never cruise. scored a goal, right? Or you know, like yeah, I would have kicked him, or you know, I couldn't yeah. have caught him. I wasn't fast enough. So exactly. there's there's really a learning curve that has to be taking place that hasn't taken place yet. So I don't know um, if he's getting any advice, but um, and and less is and
1: more, here, less is more.
3: Less here, is more. Here,
0: here's the other thing I was going to say. You know one of the things about Jon Stewart uh, is that he can be really funny and really intense and then he can mix them. And it's a rare quality. Taylor's very funny and he's very personal and it's sometimes it just doesn't come across in the broadcast. So I hope it does. Cause I like him. I like him yeah. a lot, you know? So uh, Well, I
1: think he plays that role at ESPN of being the very amped up guy. Cause when they always you know, have him on sports center to, to, to discuss an issue and he'll just go ballistic. It's like it's right. time to bring on Taylor to go ballistic.
0: Yeah, but you're not yeah. getting fired up for a 50-50 ball. You're reporting. Like I said, that, that <laughs> sideline, that sideline reporter yesterday, Sam. What is it? Borden? Borden? Sam Borden. Yeah. Yeah. So and yeah. who does he? He writes for someone, right? Yeah. Well, he used, I've to, read his do, stuff forever. He used to
1: write for S Up. Yeah. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. So he's legit. So yeah. okay. Well, good guys. That's uh, all the complaints we have today <laughs> on over them all. Uh I'd like to thank our guest. Um, Ted Priestley, great guy, uh, was a good player in and of his day as well. And uh, now he's doing some great things for some great programs around the country. Because uh, as we know, as soccer people, we're not always on the um, on the top of the financial sheet. Uh, it's always a bottom line there. So uh, he's helping people keep things straight. All right, everybody, uh, for Sam Griswold. And what's your name? Grail Hallett. I'm Kevin Flynn. And we'll talk to you next time on OTB. we got another national team game coming up. So everybody keep watching. We'll talk about it. See ya.